Hello, I'm Carrie Ann. Welcome to another service with Pastor Ray Dieter at Grace Baptist Church. Please check out our website, gbcevansville.org. There, you'll find videos of our youth and children's services, daily devotions, and other ministries our church has to offer. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for an in-person service where we'll practice social distancing and follow safety guidelines. Now, let's hear what Pastor Ray has to say. Five. <laughs> oh, they did. They said you, I, could, I, could stand behind, I could stand behind them and pray. So, hey, um, we've been talking, we started last Sunday talking about this. This is my favorite time of the year. It's... Uh, <clears throat> the least commercial of all the Christmas holidays. Uh, and it is a time that causes us to pause and think about what God has done. And last Sunday we started a series of three sermons on what every Christian ought to be thankful for, and I would submit everybody in the world ought to be thankful for, because the three things that we talk about influence everyone. Um, and that is uh, God's, first of all, God's unchangeable nature. Uh, we talked about that last Sunday. I'm thankful uh, for His unchangeable nature. Uh, everything else in the world seems to change, uh, some of it very rapidly. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble dealing with change. But the one consistent thing in all the world, in all the universe, in all time, is God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and for always. Uh, he does not change. And so we're thankful for that. Because the biblical word for that is immutable, nice big word that means does not. In fact, it means beyond that, not even capable of changing. Uh, the second thing we're going to talk about this morning, uh, next week we're going to talk about God's enduring word. But the second thing I'm th thankful for is God's perfect plan of salvation. Uh, Adrian Rogers heard him once say, man only has three plan problems, sin, sorrow, and death. And sorrow and death flow out of sin. Sin is what we do that is against God's will. It is what we do that God does not uh, condone, does not approve, and has forbidden us to do. And all of us, absolutely all of us, every one of us is a sinner. We are by nature that way. We are rebellious. We want to do it our way. We want things to go the way we want things to go. And who is God to tell me what to do? This is kind of the attitude we have. And God's plan deals with that sin. Because what sin does is it separates us from God's love and God's loving nature. Uh, and what the plan of salvation does is it brings the remedy for the sickness of sin and restores us into God's favor. Uh, let's go to, we're going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews this morning. One of my, uh, I, I love the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 1. This is one of the, here's another big word for you, one of the Christological passages of the New Testament that describe who Jesus is. Listen to what the writer says. God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. He says, God has always been trying to get a hold of you. He's been calling your number. 
He's been reaching out to you because He loves you and He cares about you. Even though you're a sinner, He cares for you and He reaches out to you. And the writer of Hebrews says in the past he did this through the prophets, great men of God who spoke as God directed as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he said all that has led up to this point in these last days he has spoken to you by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. If you go to the book of Genesis it says, let us create man in our plural image. Christ has always been. He didn't begin in the manger in Jerusalem. His life here on earth in a body began there, but he has always been as has the Holy Spirit. He goes on, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me unpack that for you. He, he says uh, he was the exact image of God. I have somewhere in my collection of things a picture of my grandfather when he had hair. My grandfather lost his hair because he, very young in life because he had scarlet fever. But if you take the picture of my grandfather when he was about 20 years old, and you take my picture of my dad when he was in Navy of World War II, and you take the picture of my son the day he uh, graduated from basic training in the United States Army, uh, you could mix them up and they all look just exactly alike. Now, I, I don't, I look like my mother's side of the family. I'm short, fat, and dumpy. But th they all look just the same. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, when Jesus was here, people who looked at him saw God. They saw what God was like. They saw how God related to people. They saw what God taught and heard what God taught. And he said he was the image of God and everything is sustained by his power. He keeps the stars in place, the world rotating on its axis uh, so that the sun comes up. All those things are done by his power. And he says he came that our sins might be purged. That's a, that's a big word. It means they, they are forgiven. They are washed away. They are removed forever. Uh, I spilled something this week. I was uh, visiting some folks and uh, at their place of business and I knocked something over and it kind of spilled and the lady pulled out the biggest bottle of pine saw I ever seen in my life. I did a liter size pine saw. She said, here, I got this. And man, she cleaned it up. And when she got done, you'd never know that I spilt my coffee there. It just took it all away. That's purged. Sin is a stain on the life of every person. And Jesus Christ, through his blood, purges that sin away. He takes it away. And so the writer, as he's talking about this, he is talking about a plan that is older than time itself. The book of Revelation said, it describes Jesus as this lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, he existed and the plan was in place that he would die for your sins and mine. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, tempted by the serpent, Jesus Christ, the plan was in place. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this. The first thing he talks about is the perfect high priest. He's the perfect Jesus is the perfect high priest if you go to 7, 1 to 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. 
to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days or end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, preacher, what's that mean? In the Old Testament, the priest's job was to intercede on behalf of other people. He would go into the temple and he would offer a sacrifice for his sins, and then other people would bring their sin offerings to him and he would offer those up. Uh, a, a pigeon if they were poor, a lamb if uh, it was the most uh, used item, uh, most used animal, and he would offer those for the sacrifice of sin because sin cannot be cleansed except by blood, and he would offer these sacrifices on the burnt offer, altar. And as he did that, he would intercede for these folks. He was making this offering on their behalf to God, a holy God, that they might be forgiven of their sins. And the scripture says that once a year, the high priest, the top guy, the big kahuna, the senior pastor, uh, he would go into the Holy of Holies and offer an offering for all the nation's sins, for everybody all at once. And that was the job of the priest. And the priests all came from the tribe of Levi, which was the tribe of uh, Moses and Aaron. They were descendants of Aaron. And it was called the Levitical system. And it worked very well because what God was doing was he was painting a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. They were not saved. No one's sins were taken away by the blood of a, a lamb. But it was a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, which would later be shed on Calvary, that looking forward to that, they could experience the forgiveness of their sins. And so, as the writer of Hebrews writes here, he talks about Jesus Christ, and he says he was not a Levitical priest. He was not of the house of Aaron, but he was a priest nonetheless. If we go to Hebrews 7, 13 to 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power of death and the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all, all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's in the second chapter. Excuse me. He, he, Jesus Christ was the perfect priest. When a human priest, a Levitical priest, went into make the offering. First, he had to make an offering for his own sins. But Jesus Christ was without sin and without blemish. And he was not, he was not of the tribe of Levi. If you go to that passage in 7, 13, uh, for he whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. He was of the, uh, uh, of the tribe of Judah and they were not allowed to, to, to be priests. You had to be a Levite. Uh, for it is evident that our Lord rose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident that if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest, who has come not according to the law of flesh made commandment, but according to the power uh, of endless life. Now what's that mean, preacher? It means that Jesus Christ was like this Old Testament preach, priest Melchizedek. Abraham's family was kidnapped, taken into bondage, 
And he rose up his men that were left, and he went, and he, and he br- rescued them and brought them back. And as he brings them back, he meets a priest, uh, Melchizedek, and he gives him a tithe, a tenth of all the goods that he has received, uh, confiscated in this war. And the Scripture says, nobody know where Melchizedek came from. Doesn't give him a li- his lineage. The Bible's real big on giving the genealogies. You know, there's no genealogy of Melchizedek. It says doesn't mention his father, doesn't mention his mother. He's not a Levite, but he's a priest forever. And the writer of Hebrews says this is Jesus Christ. He is a priest forever. He's not a Levite. He's above the Levitical system. He has no father, no mother in the sense that he has always existed in eternity. And so he is the perfect priest to intercede for you and I. If you go to the seventh chapter, that 22nd verse, a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, you go home and read it. Uh, seventh, the 21st verse. Let's begin with the 22nd. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. There's that word again. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he also lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens." He said, look, the priests were not perfect. And they interceded on other people's behalf. But Jesus Christ was without sin and perfect. And therefore he is able, and I love those words, to save to the uttermost. That means absolutely, completely. He doesn't save you for 80% of your sins. He doesn't save you from 90% of your sins. He doesn't save you from 99.9. Remember that soap it was 99.9% pure? Uh, he saves you for 100%. All those sins of the past, all those sins present, and all those sins of the future. It is a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And it says that he does that and, and it uh, he makes intercession for us. He speaks on our behalf that we might find forgiveness. And he is able to do that because he gave himself on Calvary's cross. If you look at Hebrews 9.12. I'm sorry, I just really love Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews 9.12. Now with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood... He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He said, look, he didn't, he didn't come in to make sacrifice for sin with an, uh, with an uh, oxen or a lamb or a goat. He came himself. And he went in and he made sacrifice for man's sin one time. That's all that's needed. Because he was perfection. And he was God's son. And so... He, because he made that sacrifice, is able to intercede for us. He was the perfect sacrifice as the perfect priest because he was without blot and he was sinless. Uh, He was tempted, as you and I are, the Scripture says. Satan often came and tempted him. 
If you read the story of Jesus' temptation on the mount, it says Satan departed him for a season. Even one of his own disciples, uh, Satan got Peter to tell him, well, you're not going to go die. I'm not going to let that happen. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. You and I, we're no match for Satan without the Holy Spirit in our lives. But when we are saved and indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we get where we can battle against him and fight against him because we are indwelled that with that. And the scripture says, he was not only the perfect priest, but the perfect sacrifice. And he wasn't the sacrifice just for the Jewish people. He was out of the line of Abraham. He was out of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant physically, but his sacrifice was for everyone. Remember the promise that God gave Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless everybody through, through your descendants. And that's what he did in Christ Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, I find Christmas hard uh, <clears throat> because I, I, I've been around family a long time and I find, what am I going to get Joanna for Christmas? Man, she's got everything she needs. I mean, she's got me. Um, <laughs> You know, she doesn't, she doesn't need jewelry. She doesn't need clothes. What, what, what are you going to get her? And I used to spend a lot of time looking for the perfect gift. <clears throat> and finally, I just realized, well, the, that's, that's just uh, not possible. You know, he is the perfect gift for you and I and for our sins. Because he was God's son. He was without sin. He was willing to die that we might have life. Amen. And it was not taken from him. He laid it down. Amen. He chose to die for your sins and mine. Amen. That should overwhelm us with thanks and gratitude. Why would he die for me? I, but he did. And because of that, he is the perfect intercessor. If you go to Hebrews 10, 10 to 14. My Bible's getting kind of dog-eared. By, by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One-time sacrifice for all sin, for all people. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time till he, his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The writer of Hebrews says, look, the priest, there were no chairs in sanctuary. They never sat down. That's why they retired at a relatively young age because they were on their feet and they were busy and they were working every day, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Because there was lots of people and there was lots of sacrifice to make. But the writer of Hebrews says uh, they repeat sacrifices over and over and over, but Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice himself 
for sin forever. And then he sat down at the right hand to God. Sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, picture, that's a beautiful picture. There's only one time in the scripture, uh, and that, well, there's two, but there's only one time uh, before the book of Revelation where it talks about Jesus stands. And that's when the first martyr, the first deacon of the church, when Stephen was dragged outside the city and stoned to death, and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He stood up to honor Stephen's sacrifice. But he's seated right at the right hand of God. I used to deal with a really important guy. He was, uh, his decisions made or broke businesses. And I learned very on in dealing with him he, uh, that you didn't go directly to him. He had a brother that worked for him. And you, if you could get an interview or a meeting with that brother and lay out what you wanted to do and then say, would you ask him if you're willing to make that loan? Would you ask him if you're willing to support this? He'd say, I'll talk to him. And that meant this loan is going to go through because his brother would listen to him. They were close. There's nothing closer than God, the Father, God, the Son. And he sits right there beside him. And when Satan throws his slings and arrows against us, Jesus said they need a little help. We need to stir the Holy Spirit up in them so they can resist that. When things get rough, and they're not going the way we want. Jesus says, look, they're getting discouraged. We need to send an encourager, someone into their life to speak encouragement into their life. And he intercedes on our behalf. And, 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 and hear me here. I, prayer is one of the three most important things you do. Prayer, Bible study, and attending church. But you don't have to pray for him to intercede. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and it prays to him and says, here's what you need to do for Ray Dieter today. Talk to the Father. And he sits there uh, making intercession on our behalf. He, that all involves a lot of things, but three things particularly were saw Redemption. We are redeemed from our sin. We are saved from our sin. We are bought out of the slavery of sin because he did something. Amen. Because he died on Calvary's cross. There's nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves from a holy God. Nothing. You could take all your worldly goods and give them, donate them to the CMO. That's not going to save you. You could come in this church every day and pray 24 hours a day. That's not going to save you. You could go knock on every door across the street and invite them to church. That's not going to save you. What saves you is the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's tree. It is simple in that sense. He sanctifies us. He makes us whole. He takes us and imputes. There's a great word means he gives you and I credit for Jesus' righteousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
Joanne and I were out to dinner the other day. Uh, a few Sundays ago, we had to be in Terre Haute on Monday for a meeting. And so we drove up on Sunday afternoon after church. And we went to, a, I had a gift certificate. And we went to a pretty nice steakhouse. Uh, Longhorn, right? And we had steak, steak. A young man came up and I said, here's a gift card and I'm going to give you that gift card and this credit card and that'll pay the bill. He came back in a little bit and he handed me the gift card and he said, uh, I, I'm not going to be able to put this on this card. And I thought he was telling me the gift card was no good. He said, no, no, no. He said, someone else bought your dinner. And they don't want you to know who it is. And I couldn't tell you till they had left. And then he said a, a, a phrase, I, I don't know why he said that, but he said, they have made you whole. They paid the whole thing. Sanctification, he makes us whole. He paid the whole price. We have the debt, but he's taken care of it. Amen. It's erased. Uh, it's gone. Access. We've talked about access. Um, you don't need a Levit Levitical or any other priest anymore. You don't have to go down to church and come and say, Pastor Ray, I need you to intervene on my behalf. You have access through Jesus Christ to the throne of grace of God. I had a fellow that lived next to the church I served for many years. Everybody witnessed to him. And finally, uh, I went to see him. And he said, I think I'm ready to make a profession of faith for uh, my sins. Would you, would you pray that God would save me and forgive me? And I said, I've been praying that for 10 years. You have to pray it. Amen. You know, uh, you have the access. He said, well, I'll tell you all the sins. I said, you don't need to tell me anything. You just tell God. And I said, you don't need to tell him everything. You just tell him you know you are a sinner and you need his grace. Amen. And so he did, and we baptized him the next Sunday. Amen. You see, you have access through Jesus Christ to holy God. I, I mean to tell you, you know, it, you can't call the President of the United States. Uh, if you try, the Secret Service may show up at your door and wonder what in the world you're doing, you know. Uh, it's pretty hard to talk to a senator. I tried to talk to a senator once and got every runaround there was, you know, and uh, there's no judge in the world that'll talk to you if you're involved in some kind of case. But you can talk to God, and that trumps any president, any congressman, any judge, any preacher, anybody you know, because you have access if you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And then expectation, Hebrews 10, 23. I could go on forever, but we're going to quit. Uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is the manner of some but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching there's a lot there he said hold on to the hope that's in you through Jesus Christ and don't waver in that hope don't become discouraged when he's not quick to return, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Uh, hold fast to that. And then 
consider one another. We are in this as a church, as the family of God, together. And he says, for, don't forsake the gathering together. There's a purpose for all of us to come to church together. We encourage each other. We lift each other up. We support each other. And then he says, and exhort one another so much more as you see the day approaching. One of these days, Christ is coming back. Amen. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when we least expect it, he will return. I said, you know, he stood up for Stephen. There's going to come a point when God's going to turn to him. The scripture says even Jesus doesn't know when that is. He doesn't know the day, the hour. When God the Father's going to turn to him and he said, it's time, go get them. Go get my children. Go get to church. And the scripture says suddenly the trumpet will sound and those of us who are alive and those who have died in Christ Jesus will be caught up to meet him in glory in the air forever and ever and ever. And we will be changed to be in a body just like his, eternal and immortal, uh, without sorrow, without pain, without sadness. There's no better plan. It's a perfect plan. The problem is not with the plan. The problem is with pride. People say, I can do it myself. God's not got anything on me. I'm just as good as this guy or that woman. I'm better than all them church people. And we think we can come up with a plan to win God's favor. That's impossible. There's only one plan. There's only one way. And it is through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's tree. In Him and Him alone is salvation and hope. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that it is a perfect plan, not designed by man, but designed by You. Thanks again for joining us for another service with Grace Baptist Church. Connect with us using the social media links on our website, gbcevansville.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week.